in a four-week series called Marvel. First, we talked about the miracles of deliverance that the Father brings. Then we talked about the miracle of protection. Then we talked about last week, miracles of provision, and this morning we're going to wrap up our series with miracles of healing. Before we get into today's message, let me just tell you how much fun last week was. I was down at the altar in the first service praying with folks, and I was getting ready to leave and go back to the back, and a young gal approached me and said, Pastor Zach, somebody just came up to me after I prayed and absolutely met my financial need this morning. God truly is a provider, which was an awesome testimony. My wife, Shannon, was in the second service. Someone she was praying with turned around and an individual was there waiting with her to meet her financial need. In the second service, I was praying And uh, I was right down here and just kind of directing some traffic, and a gal came running up, who can I help, who can I help, who can I help? And in the moment, everybody was praying for one another, and and a guy just kind of released to go back to his seat, and I said, how about him? And she literally took off sprinting back after this guy to help him. It was just incredible. And all week long via email, I have been playing matchmaker between those who have resources that they feel led to give away generously and those who have a financial need. You truly are a generous bunch, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for responding to the Holy Spirit in an actionable way when he prompts you. It was just beautiful. It was wonderful. God is marvelous. Amen? All right, so tangentially, before we get into today's message, I would also say that there have been a few Pastor Farrell sightings in the last 10 days. <laughs> if you're new, I just took the place of a guy who's been here 27 years. I've been in the hot seat no longer than a couple months, and Pastor Farrell uh, was here at the church this week weed-eating, apparently. I did not see him. He eluded um, my periphery, but he was here. And so on Tuesday morning, I called him and said, hey, or rather I sent him a text message, hey, Shannon's taking the kids to school this morning. I have time. Would you like to meet for breakfast? And a notification and little moon, half moon emblem or quarter moon emblem appeared on my phone. And it says, Pastor Farrell has his notifications on silence. And I thought, good for him. For the first time in his life, he has, he found out how to silence his notifications And so he's not responding to every need and every text and every call. I was thinking, gosh, he's probably sleeping in and making a nice brunch with Charlotte and tea and crumpets and all that. (laughs) And then he texts me back, sorry, I'm turkey hunting, can't do breakfast. (laughs) So the reason he had his phone silenced was so that that big gobbler didn't hear his phone ring while he was pursuing him. Again, today we're going to talk about miracles of healing. How many of you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. 
How many of you believe that the scriptures ring true when James tells us that Elijah is a man with a nature just like ours? Meaning we too can see the glory of God in the land of the living. Amen? We're not in the land of the dead yet. We're still in the land of the living. And God does choose to abide with his people here and to do the marvelous for his glory to be made known to the world. So we believe that. John 14, 12, here's another dandy. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In other words, Jesus says, I'm out of here. You're still around. You're going to do the things that I've been doing. So buckle up. Get ready for the glory of God to be made known. I absolutely and completely believe that God still heals. I have seen God heal with my very own eyes. In fact, in the New Testament alone, there are at least 30 different miracles that Jesus performed. It is inferred that Jesus performed hundreds of miracles in the New Testament. People who were pain-wracked mentally, people who were emotionally in disarray, those that had physical needs, those who could not walk, Jesus made to walk. Those who could not see, Jesus made to see. Those who could not hear, Jesus made to hear. Those who couldn't uh, speak. Have I said that one yet? (laughs) I can't remember. I've preached two services already. That's beside the point. Jesus even made some who were dead come alive again. He did. This is just what he does. In fact, just this last week, I was giving a devotional at Grace Covenant Academy, and I read the story from Acts 20 of Eutychus. Eutychus is like the snorer in the New Testament. Eutychus is the guy who probably needed a CPAP machine, okay? Eutychus is sitting in a windowsill, and he begins nodding off when the Apostle Paul decides to preach past midnight. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in a sermon? Be honest. It's tempting, right? You just start nodding off. You haven't had a lot of sleep. It happens. Well, it happened to Eutychus, and he falls three stories down to his death. And the Apostle Paul thinks to himself, maybe I should have ended this sermon an hour ago. So he runs down, he lays his body on Eutychus, Eutychus breathes life again, he carries him back upstairs, he's made whole. Isn't it comforting to know that you can even fall asleep in the balcony today, fall down to the first level, and that Jesus will be here waiting for you? This is just a beautiful report. It's also been said that the most controversial of all New Testament miracles is when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Scholars say this miracle may have led directly to Peter denying Jesus three times. My mother-in-law may be here this morning. I don't know. I love you, Juanita, if you're here, if you're watching online. I love you. It's a dangerous joke going into Mother's Day weekend, isn't it? God has the power to heal. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is made available to us. With God, all things are possible. Elijah was a man just like us. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I want you guys to know that there are elders who have been praying at length this week and the weeks preceding that God would do the miraculous on your behalf this week. I am not some tele-evangelist. I do not do this for my day job. I just want to dream with you that God will do the impossible among us and lean in with faith into his goodness. Amen? So we're going to do that in a little bit. There are plenty of people who are here this morning expectantly awaiting you to step forward in prayer. We're trusting in the Lord. Before we do that, allow me to state the obvious, okay? God does not always heal. My grandmother was diagnosed, excuse me, with rheumatoid arthritis when she was 16 years of age. She uh, was pain-ridden her whole life, often bedridden. I believed expectantly. I felt like she was ripe for a miracle of God. Our church prayed for her with diligence. She had the prayer chain incredibly active, and yet she would die many years later with this brutal disease after decades of suffering. So sometimes I would think you would agree this can, this reality, disorient us. It can throw us off. God, how come you healed my headaches and yet this child with cancer dies? God, I know you're able, but what about this individual with fibromyalgia or multiple sclerosis or muscular dystrophy? Lord, would you intervene? Would you touch them? Would you make them well? And unfortunately, when God doesn't, some of us have jumped to wrong conclusions. We either think that God does not exist or we think that God is not good or we feel that God doesn't care, that he's indifferent, that he's unkind, that he's not attentive, that he's aloof, that he's separated. How do we reconcile all this? How do we approach the Lord if we believe he can and we know that he has and yet he doesn't always even when he ought? We're going to talk about that today in a way that may answer some questions you have. And also... Build our faith in a God who is absolutely in love with us. He loves us. 
Oh, how he loves us so. He hears our prayers and he does marvels to be told even in our day and age. So here's an introductory thought that we must embrace, I believe, for a healthy theology on healing. Our God heals. Would you say that with me? Our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. Would you say that with me? But he doesn't heal everyone all the time. Our God heals. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. It's magnificent. And yet he doesn't heal everyone all the time. There are some who believe that it's always God's will to heal. There are others who believe God never heals. How many of you believe that God heals? Can you imagine if this church weren't a bunch of Pentecostals, but were rather a bunch of cessationalists, me asking this question and no hands going up? What a depressing theology. Amen? Praise God. We believe in the gifts, one of which is healing and that it's available for us today. We can be unsettled. We can be shaken. We can be rocked by the throes of life. And yet we have seen God heal. Here are three quick examples from Scripture to undergo gird this important theological point. There's a guy in 2 Timothy 4 by the name of Trophimus. Everybody say Trophimus. Trophimus was one of the Apostle Paul's friends who accompanied the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. But when he got sick, it would appear that the Lord did not heal him In fact, in Acts 20, not only did he get left uh, unhealed, he got left behind on the missionary journey. Everybody say, bummer. (laughs) It's a bummer to get left behind when you have important work to do for the kingdom. It's no different when you go to Nicaragua or you go to some other place and there are bacteria that your body isn't used to coping with and you get a stomach bug and you have to wait until you can be active again in ministry. A second example is in The case of Timothy, Paul's young disciple, if you'll recall, he had stomach issues. And Paul gave him some incredibly spiritual advice. Take a little wine for your stomach. Take a little wine for your stomach. So there was a case where Paul's student, his mentee, Timothy, was not healed of his stomach issues. And Paul said, hey, the next best thing is wine. Let me prescribe this. Let me encourage this. Let me send you to get a little wine so that it will make your stomach feel better. And then third, there is the case of, and there are others, the Apostle Paul who had what was called in the Bible a thorn in the flesh. 
Now, nearly all scholars are in agreement that the thorn in the flesh was not a literal thorn in his flesh, but rather it was a figurative something that few scholars agree on what it is. Maybe it was some kind of mental crisis. Maybe it was an ongoing and perpetual temptation. We know that Paul had some of those. He writes about them elsewhere. Maybe it was some kind of physical ailment. We don't know, but here's what we know. The Apostle Paul pleaded at least three times for this to go away. And the word pleaded in the original language, the Greek, did not mean a 30-minute popcorn prayer, or rather a 30-second popcorn prayer. Here's what it meant. It meant a season of engaging God in prayer. So check this out. In at least three seasons, we're talking about a lengthy period of time, Paul prayed that God would remove his figurative thorn in the flesh, and for whatever reason, God chose not to. So let's briefly answer. By the way, what did God say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. Why don't we answer briefly a couple questions this morning about miracles. Why did Jesus not do miracles? That's our first question. Number one, Jesus did not perform miracles to appease others. He didn't do that. God generally does not play the game, if you'll just do this one thing for me, Lord, I'll get my life in order. It would be nice if God did, but most of the time God doesn't. God is God. God does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He refuses to perform miracles to appease others. In Mark 8, if you'll recall, religious men called the Pharisees came to Jesus. And what was the motive of their heart in asking for a sign? They wanted to test Jesus. Okay? And Jesus responded, after presumably sighing deeply, oh, here we go again. And he says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Why? Jesus is saying, effectively, I'm doing miracles that are in line with the heart of my Father. I'm not doing miracles that are requested by those who have an ulterior motive. I'm not in it for that. That's not a reason I do miracles. So shelve it, Pharisees. Number two, Jesus did not perform miracles that interfered with God's ultimate plan. Jesus didn't perform miracles that interfered with God's ultimate plan. Do you recall when Judas identifies Jesus to the Roman authorities with a kiss? A kiss was a sign of hello, a greeting, and Jesus is approached by Judas. Judas gives him a kiss on the cheek. Peter says, you're not going to do that to my Jesus. And what does Peter do? He unsheathes his sword. And he goes to, we would think, hit the Roman soldier in the head. A lethal strike. And what does he do? He doesn't have good aim. He misses and he chops off his ear. 
And an ear falls, we didn't talk about this on Good Friday, but an ear falls down on the ground and everybody's looking for the ear in the dark. And everybody's trying to watch where they step so they don't step on the ear before picking up the ear. And who picks up the ear? Jesus finds the ear. And Jesus bends down and grabs the ear. And Jesus, in a pure act of compassion, in a miracle to this Roman soldier who's there to arrest him and persecute him, puts the guy's ear back on. Isn't that awesome? Like if only Vincent Van Gogh... No, I'm sorry, that was... But he needed Jesus, right? Jesus puts ears back on. How beautiful, how awesome. And here Jesus is, picking up the ear. And you can just sense his disappointment in Peter. Peter, this wasn't part of the plan, Shall I not drink, this is what Jesus said to Peter, the cup that God has for me? I'm on my way to death. Do you not want me? Why are you trying to save us with human power? Can't you see in the spiritual realm where all this is headed? Don't you realize, Jesus said in another gospel, same account, that my father could send a legion of angels to help us in this scenario? Why are you cutting people's ears off? Notice in one moment, Jesus does a marvelous thing in healing the soldier's ear. And in the same moment, withholds a miracle by refusing to call down angels. The disciples wonder, well, why didn't Jesus call down the angels? Because Jesus would not trade the eternal benefit of the cross for the temporal benefit of eluding a few soldiers in the darkness in the garden. Jesus doesn't do miracles when they interfere with God's plan. Number three, Jesus didn't do miracles oftentimes where faith was lacking. Jesus goes to his hometown. People are not impressed with Jesus in his hometown. They grew up with him. This is Joseph the carpenter's son. Wait, isn't this the annoying kid who got all the answers right in my class? <laughs> this is one of the reasons I'll I'll have you understand that I chose to fly the coop and go up to Wisconsin for 16 years. I just didn't want to go back to Concord, Mount Pleasant, around people who have what a theory names powdered bum syndrome. Have you ever heard of powdered bum syndrome? Powdered bum syndrome, it's a theory, it's simply this. If someone has powdered my bum, they will never listen to anything I have to say in life. <laughs> they will never take unsolicited advice from me. Why? Because they powdered my bum. <laughs> they raised me. It's just the way this works. And Jesus says... I'm not going home because there's a lot of people there who powdered my proverbial bum. 
They watch me grow up. They won't believe. We're not going to waste our time there. Scripture says that Jesus did not do miracles there. Because the people did not believe. Church family, we have to understand, it is our faith that moves the heart of God. Jesus will go where Jesus is believed in. That's where Jesus resides. Jesus will go where his authority is welcomed. Our faith matters to God. Think of the woman with the issue of blood. Unclean. Society has abandoned her. She pushes through the crowd to get to Jesus. If I could just touch his garment, if, if gosh, if I could just reach out and grab the hem of his robe, I would be healed. And she pushes through, and she touches him, and she's healed. And what did Jesus say to her? Say it with me, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Daughter, it's your faith. You really believe that what you believe is really real. It's your faith that healed you. A man with leprosy falls at Jesus' feet. His skin is falling off. Jesus looks at this man and says, rise and go. It's your faith that has made you well. A blind man screams, I can't see you, Jesus, but I can hear you. I know you're there. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, go. It is your faith that has healed you. In fact, it's been said that only one thing in all of the Gospels actually amazed Jesus Christ expressly. Only one thing. Jesus was amazed, and the biographers wrote about it, by people's faith. He was amazed. He was dumbfounded by people's faith. Jesus' heart was moved. Other times he was like, meh. No thank you. But when people demonstrated great faith, Jesus was right there. Do you remember the Roman centurion who had a sick servant? And he says to Jesus, Jesus, you don't even have to go to where he is. You don't even have to travel. This is how big I think you are. Just say the word and he will be healed. And scripture says Jesus was amazed by that man's faith. I've never seen faith like this before, Jesus said. So I'm curious this morning. When it comes to your faith, would Jesus be amazed? Or would Jesus be like, meh? Would Jesus be impressed? Would Jesus be revered? Would Jesus be honored? 
Or would Jesus move on? If the spiritual maturity of our prayer life caps out at Heavenly Father, please bless this food so that it nourishes our bodies. How many of you know that's a big problem? Jesus is inviting us into, he desires us to have deeper faith. He's desirous of a faith that amazes him. Church family, I want you to know as your pastor, I believe in the Lord. But you know what? I'm still human. I am 100% human like you are 100% human. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Sometimes I identify more than these people with great faith with the guy in the scriptures, the father whose son is possessed. And he says, Lord, help me believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, I believe, I do, but help me overcome my unbelief. How duplicitous does that sound? And yet that's our nature, right? This is us. I've shared with you some reasons Jesus doesn't heal. Now I'm going to tell you the reasons he does. And he does often. He does more often than you think. Reason number one, to prove that he is, in fact, the divine son of God. That's a reason Jesus heals. He knows that testimony is powerful. He knows that stories draw people. He knows that his kindness leads people to repentance. And so Jesus heals Matthew 11, verses 2 through 4, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Like, are you the divine one? Are you God? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, well, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What did Jesus mean by that? Jesus meant my miracles are designed to point people to faith in my divine nature. Acts 2.22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, meaning that he received credibility by God to you. How? By miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Second, to strengthen the faith of of those who believe. Now, isn't that something? It's kind of a chicken and egg thing, isn't it? We need more faith to lead to the miracles, in part. What happens when the miracles occur? We have more faith. So it's cyclical, yes? Matthew 8, verses 26 through 27. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? 
And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm, and the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? In other words, their faith was strengthened by the miracle that they just observed. Number three, to to accomplish, excuse me, to accomplish good Mark 1, verse 41, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be what? Clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Sometimes Jesus heals just because he's good. Just because he's faithful. Just because he wants what's best for us. Number four, to respond to great faith. We've talked about that. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And last one, to give us a glimpse of the world to come. To give us a glimpse of the world to come. If you're green to this faith thing, and you haven't been playing around the creek bank a long time, you need to know that the Bible says that one day Jesus himself will wipe every tear from your eye. You will no longer be in pain. You will no longer suffer. You will no longer have ailments and disease and anguish and strife. Healings are a promise of what is to come. The supernatural acts of Jesus are like this flash of lightning. You know how lightning hits and it illuminates everything for a split second? A miracle is like a flash of lightning inviting us into the natural world. Tim Keller makes the point, this is not even the natural world. We're in the unnatural world. We're hanging on to the thread and we, we take it into our arms and we caress it and, we, and the reality is this thread is small in comparison to the whole room. Francis Chan says that's what eternity is like compared to this life. Why are we so zealous for it? One day Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye. Tim Keller says, the Bible tells us God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he's going to do with that power. Here's what I would say in closing before we pray. Church family, we need to understand everyone who comes down for healing. And we're going to pray the prayer of faith. And we're going to believe that the Lord's going to touch your body and make you well in Jesus' name. He can do it. He will do it. Here's what I would say that you need to understand. Jesus' highest purpose for coming was not to heal our diseases. It was to save our souls. And that he has already accomplished for every single individual 
who professes Christ in this room. And that is a more enduring, longer-lasting miracle than anything Jesus could ever do for us bodily. That's how faithful he is. That's how good. And let me show you how this makes sense practically. Spoiler alert. Even if God heals you this morning, and we're going to pray that he does, of what you're going through, what is the likely scenario if Jesus tarries? If Jesus waits to come back again, all of us will what? We will one day die. It's just the natural progression of things. How many of you are glad that Jesus' ultimate purpose was not to heal us in prelude to our own eventual death, but to set us free from death for an eternity? Amen? There's power in that. There's availability in that. So, Father, we pray this morning that you would heal our diseases in the present. Lord, we lift up the matchless power of your great name. Lord, as our prayer teams come this morning, we just ask that you would heal us. I pray for those who are mentally, Lord, just all out of sorts today. Lord, for the depression in the room today, the anxiety, the suicidal thoughts, Lord, that you would heal our minds. Lord, I pray that you would heal, Jesus, our relationships. I pray that if there are those here today who have been traumatized by abuse, Lord, that you would touch them and make them whole. Heal them in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And Lord, for everyone who is suffering physically, Lord, we ask that that your glory would be manifest at 17301 Statesville Avenue today, that we would look back and say, this is the day that God visited us here. This is the day that he moved among us. This is the day that he showed up. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Lord, we don't take the glory and we don't take the blame. This is yours. We commit this time to you. In the powerful, matchless, mighty name of Jesus.